show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Climbing the Pocket Mondays, where we try to turn your Monday purple, and right now, it's unfortunately pretty black because of the the last uh, eight or nine days that the Minnesota Vikings have made us experience. I am your co-host, Tyler Fornes. We have our trusty producer, Dave, here, who's going to be very happy when we talk about them round bellies. And then with me, as always, Deshaun Vaughn. Gentlemen, let's uh, let's kind of skip the pleasantries here. We have a lot to talk about here today. And let's, let's start with some positives because we're going to be doing a lot of trash talking. And I want to kind of take this a little differently, and I want to start with Player of the Week, something that we had talked about a little bit briefly pre-show. My Player of the Week is somebody I criticize a lot, and that is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins had a fantastic football game. If you look at the box score, it was okay. Yeah, he had around 200 yards passing, had a couple touchdowns. His average depth of target was not great. But at the end of the day, Kirk was firing at all cylinders. He was confident. He was moving in the pocket. He was making good decisions. He was making positive, confident decisions. And he was willing to step back and let it sling. This is the Kirk Cousins we need to see on a week-in, week-out basis. Albeit, we know that it's going to be, hey, you're going to have a rough one here, a rough one there. That's fine. But at the end of the day, this is the expectation for Kirk Cousins, and this is what we want to see. And quite frankly, yesterday, boys, we got the Kirk Cousins that we paid big money for. And it was really, really good to see. Was yeah, it? No, that, uh, that third quarter did it for me. I ain't like that third quarter at all. <laughs> oh, the third quarter was not great, but I'm going to take a little bit off of Kirk on that because I think – that whole entire third quarter play calling uh, was um, was a director from Mike Zimmer to go back to what he wants and not what Kubiak was doing. And that's kind of my uh, hypothesis there. So th- that's, that's the best I can guess at the moment. My question is, was part of that the whole sitting down with Zim to watch film for the first time in over three years? help motivate it. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't I don't know. Like that was I think, probably such an awkward thing to do. They probably just sat there in silence was just looking at each other like, hey man, this looks nice. This was probably the most awkward thing. It ever. just blows my mind that Zim hasn't done that almost every day since he got here. That's something you do with your quarterback. You go over. This is from Zim this is what the defense is trying to do. You know, from with, you know, Kirk, it's like, this is how you defeat this. This is what you look for. And that's just simple, simple coaching 101. You got to do things like that to improve. You just can't, you know, sign it off to somebody else and hope it goes well. No, 100%. And it's incredibly frustrating. But let's be honest, I think we we can all agree that Zimmer's most important position on this football team is the cornerback, not the quarterback. And I, I think the amount of attention that he has paid to it over the course of his tenure, both with assets, draft picks, salary, and how much attention he gives it on a day-in, day-out basis and what you see in practice and training camp, it just makes all the sense in the world. Zimmer values corner more than quarterback. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Plus, it wasn't Teddy. He finally warmed up to Sam Bradford right before the injury. And then Kirk is that from everything he presents in the media, he does not have the best and most easygoing personality. So a guy like Zimmer, like how is he going to mesh with that? And I mean, it's not an excuse because he's a head coach and he needs to be able to mesh with it. But at the end of the day, it probably presented those barriers of actually being able to jump in and do it. Uh, it, yeah, but even with the barriers, it should have been planned time. Um, at least you know an hour a week. Here we're gonna sit down with a coach. We're gonna go over film, boom, and mm-hmm. take notes. It's it's no different than whatever room, and it should have been the quarterback room. It should have been all of them. But sit down, watch together. You know they could have had their quarterback meeting last three hours, four hours, and then now the last hour is Zim. And just do it that. Yep. Way. And it would have made 100%. sense. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100. I think we're going to delve into uh, some of those things with Mike Zimmer here later in the show. Deshaun, we kind of talked a little bit about it. I think I know who your player of the week is. Why don't you share it with the people? Uh, it's a returning player, somebody we've missed so so much. Uh, Daniel Hunter coming back and making his presence felt showed up big late in that game and made some great plays on run defense and in pass rush. Uh, Gus Johnson with the great call tackling, <laughs> rounding up Kyler Murray like a little chicken on the field. So Hunter, man, it's, it's great to see him come back and just return to what he was able to do. We really miss those like those random pass rushes where we're not really doing too much, but we still get to the quarterback, and that's something that we really miss, and that's something that we're going to welcome back a lot. And just great game all around from him. Uh, you saw he really elevated some of the other guys on the defense. Even like DJ Wano was able to get three pressures. Stephen Weatherly was able to record five pressures. That's because Daniel Hunter was putting so much pressure on that offensive line. Great all-around game from him. It, it was a great all-around game, and it was really, 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 really nice to see. And that, let's keep the positivity rolling because we are going to do a lot of burials here later in the show. Dave, <laughs> we're going to give you some love here. We're going to talk about them round bellies. The offensive line as a whole had an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, outside of Rashad Hill, who had who had a little bit of a rough stretch, and even he had a relatively good game if you uh, kind of ignore how low his PFF grade was because Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt were basically held in check the entire football game, which was very impressive. Ezra Cleveland had the highest PFF grade on the team. Garrett Bradbury even had a positive uh, PFF passing grade. Which, uh, I know it, it feels was, like a very It was positive. Time. You know what? It was like, what, 54.7, if I recall correctly? Like, that's a pretty good number for him, and it's an improvement, which is what we want to see. We want to see that trajectory. Dave, what were your big takeaways from the round bellies on Sunday? Oh, they worked much better. They were opening up holes that you could drive a truck through. I could run through those holes. They were large, and uh, that was awesome. You talk about Bradbury. I watched one of the plays was a screen. Um, I don't remember who they threw it to. It may have been Osborne. But at the end of the tackle, the block thrown ahead of the one guy, um, ahead of Osborne against the defender, was Bradbury. He was out there leading the way. He was good. They kept Kirk Cousins relatively clean all day long. And that was that was something. Oliudo scores were decent. They weren't as high, but he was going against J.J. Watt most of the day. So uh, I can't fault him for that. That's, you know, you're going up against the pro bowler and Hall of future Hall of Famer. So it was a good showing across the board. Rashad Hill was the one that was the most suspect, but it worked. I mean, he was going up against Chandler Jones, and Chandler Jones is just a beast of a defensive end. And how many pressures did we see on um, Kirk Cousins? It wasn't that many. I think it was seven. So they had seven, but I only remember, like, maybe three that were, like, pressing where Cousins really had to make sure he got rid of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. They got got the one sack, and there were, like, two or three other ones where Cousins got hit and maybe had to let go of the ball a little earlier than he wanted According to this, it's three hits, two hurries, and five total pressures. I think some of it is going to stem from those instances on the, uh, whatchamacallit, um, those instances where he ended up running the ball and scrambling, and those really solid runs, I think those make a lot of difference when it comes to those pressures. It's kind of a give and take, right? Like, yeah, he was pressured, but he evaded it, and he made something positive happen. The touchdown to Justin Jefferson was a prime example of that. That was like like peak Kirk Cousins. It was fantastic. The 28-yard run, avoiding pressure. And it's pressure doesn't necessarily mean a complete negative thing. And I think sometimes, you know, as analysts, we forget that. And then when you see him get pressured and then he evades it and he makes something incredibly positive happen, when we don't have a guy who's great at creating off structure, it's, it's a very, very nice thing to see. It was five pressures on 35 dropbacks. 
total. Now, speaking of Kirk Cousins and all that time, on the second play of the game with K.J. Osborne streaking down the sideline because coverage was blown, I can guarantee you Kirk Cousins' eyes went, and he got a big smile Mm -hmm. on his face, and he's just going, don't overthrow it. (laughs) And he laid in a perfect ball. That was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. And usually, and I said this last year on Good Morning Gallahorn, and I'll repeat Mm -hmm. it this year, if his first long ball is a good ball and a completion, he has a good day. It's one of those weird indicators on how the day is going to go. Yeah, and he's been Absolutely. really he's been really selective about his deep ball throws this year. Uh, compared to last year at this time, I think he's throwing about half as many passes beyond 20 yards. I think he only has like six attempts this season. Mm-hmm. And that, considering what this offense is and what it's predicated on, especially those play-action deep shots, that's not okay. But I do want to, uh, you know, shout out, Dave, I heard you on um, the final score say that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So, Vikings fans, make sure you check that out Sunday and or Mondays and Thursdays immediately after the the final score happens of the Minnesota Vikings game. Great post-game show. All right. So, a couple other positive things that I saw. Um, I thought, and we're going to shout out your boy here, Deshaun, Stephen Weatherly. Stephen Weatherly has been playing very good football. Look, he was a seventh-round pick. You made him into a decent starter. And if you get any kind of starting material out of a seventh-round pick, that's a huge hit. Mm -hmm. And Weatherly has continued to be an asset for this football team, which as a seventh-round pick is phenomenal. And he's he's just been a stalwart player. He's not going to make big mistakes. He's not going to overwhelm positive. But it's great. It's great. I wish he wouldn't have crashed the edge so hard on that Rondale Moore touchdown because that was how Kyler Murray escaped the pocket so easily. But you live, you learn. Um, Deshaun, hype up your boy Weatherly. I I know you're just itching, too. I can't can't even talk about Weatherly anymore without Jason popping in my head, man. (laughs) It's okay. As far as I know right now, this is a Jason-free zone. And if if he starts coming at you, he'll just fire off a Kadarius Tony take to make me mad. But yeah, man, great game from Weatherly. And like, I I think it was, it's what you kind of expect from a player of his caliber. He just kind Mm -hmm. of the makeup for what Hunter is doing. And that's what us all Hunter needs. Hunter is going to get his pressures. He just needs someone there that doesn't allow the quarterback to run away. Obviously, Kyler Murray is just really good at it. We are, especially in the first half, we just were not able to keep him contained at all. But you saw in that second half, as we started to contain contain Kyler Murray, he started to take these these shot plays and make mistakes. Defensive line really came up big, and Stephen Weatherly was a really big part of that. He he kind of clamped down a little bit. He stopped playing too out of control, and it resulted in three three hunter sacks. And only thing I wish he would have done a little better. The run offense for the Cardinals was a tad bit too productive for my liking. They were really attacking the edges, and they were having some success with it. Still, tackling is kind of an issue. We're still missing a lot of tackles. But the Cardinals have some athletes, man. They have athletes all over the field. So I don't – it sucks. But you're just you're going to miss tackles when you're going up against guys that are that athletic. You just wish that, you know, when James Conner has a football, you, you tackle this dude. I want to fall forward for six yards. Agree completely. And I think something that needs to be said as far as, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the uh, the lack of tackling, and you talk about those athletes, like Rondale Moore, he's only five foot eight, he's like a buck 80, but the man squats like 700 pounds. When you squat 700 pounds, it's going to be incredibly difficult to tackle. And just because you're going to be able to explode and cut really aggressively and be able to do all those things. And we saw that on the play before Matt Prater hit that 62-yard field goal, he just weaved in and out of Vikings and was able to duck out of bounds really quick. And I, because of that lower body strength, he's able to do those things. And I think the tackling will come. I don't see this being a Mike Zimmer-led defense. It's just going to be poor tackling the entire season. But what I do think this says is uh, all those issues that we saw in the preseason, we're just seeing them kind of, roll over into the regular season and they're slowly becoming less and less of an issue. And I think we'll see the same thing with tackling moving forward. I hope so. And hopefully it's not, I mentioned yesterday that it was a little bit undisciplined. They were flying all over the place, a little chaotic versus normally the way Mike likes to play it, where 
If you're not making the tackle, you're containing and you're pushing the ball carrier into other Vikings players, they'll, they'll need to do that. And once they get that in the rhythm, and it comes down to communication and playing with each other on a regular basis, it should tighten up. Mm-hmm. 100% should tighten up. Um, now let's kind of uh, transition away from just strictly positive. Let's kind of talk about some 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 purgatory stuff, some some good, some bad. And let's talk about Clint Kubiak and the play calling. Because I think in the first half, we saw a lot of the good that Gary and Kevin Stefanski were doing the past couple years. And we saw uh, additions to that. We saw a lot of pre-snap motion, that which was helping even more uh, with those wide holes that Dalvin Cook was running through. Like, like we're talking, like, you got to fit a semi through those things. It was beautiful to watch. And... You saw second and long throwing the football. Like it, it's an incredible novel concept that we have just unfortunately not figured out. And you're seeing all of these things and you're seeing success from the Minnesota Vikings offense on all three levels, the weapons, the offensive line, Kirk absolutely dealing. And then you, you go to the third quarter and it doesn't feel like Clint Kubiak's calling the football game anymore. It feels like Mike Zimmer's calling the football game. There's not as much pre-snap motion. You're seeing uh, second and nine runs consistently. And then third down, Kirk's throwing it short of the sticks. Like before the uh, the second to last possession, that pass to Amir Abdullah on third and seven. Abdullah ran a four-yard out route, and he's getting the football. Like it's It was just very frustrating to see. So my question for you, Deshaun, is this. How much blame are you placing on Clinton Kubiak for the negatives that you saw in – Clint Kubiak's play calling in that third quarter because I think we all agree the third quarter was probably the worst the Vikings played all day on both sides of the football. Yeah, that that play calling was really we. If I'm being completely honest, if it we probably should have lost that game in the third quarter. That's how bad the third quarter was for us offensively. You just after the pick six. And just you just you have to be able to capitalize off that kind of stuff. We had so many chances to put the Cardinals away, and offensively, we just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was just like, when when do you change? Because it was like it, it wasn't just one or two drives. We had like four or like five drives, like stall out, like in a row. And when mm-hmm. do you change and just do something different? It was just – it felt like they were playing to not lose. That's what it felt like. It felt like they were playing to not lose. I think Mike Zimmer had – he figured out the Cardinals offense. He had Kyler Murray kind of scared to throw anything deep. I think after Kyler Murray's second interception, his longest pass after that was six yards besides the the heave to Kirk. But – he had Kyler Murray scared to play quarterback, and he had them hemmed in. And offensively, we just were not able to capitalize until, you know, that very last drive. So if I had to place blame, I really, really wish we could have done better offensively in the third quarter. I think that's the biggest moment because it was such a long moment because it wasn't just like, like, oh, man, we blew a coverage to Kirk and he got this magical 35-yard play. That's one play. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was the Nick Vigil where he couldn't get his toe, toe down on a fumble, whatever, or the, the the skip pass that bounced off two of our hands into Max Williams' hands. Those are one-play instances. It's whatever. But when you have several drives stall out back to back to back to back, I think that's when you start to have to place a bigger amount, the bigger amount of the blame. No, I, I, I think you're spot on there. There's a... Uh... There's di- different levels of blame, but I think you, you really hit the nail on the head, so I'm not going to really expand any more on that. Dave, what was your biggest take on the play calling? Um, are you uh, kind of on board with how Deshaun and I are viewing this? Well, as I said yesterday, first half was good. There was a lot of uh, motion. Uh, we're playing a lot of 11 formation, thus seeing a lot of K.J. Osborne, which is doing good, Sands, the fact that we're out Irv Smith, and then it got to the second half, and it seems back to a normal Zimmer tradition. He tightens up. He plays more to defend the win or prevent it, um, defend the win, and he tightens up, and he and Clint 
the play calling got a lot more conservative or less, you know, deceptive and less going downfield than in the first half. Now, I don't know if it's something that's said at halftime. I don't know if it's just a natural thing that comes to them, but they've got to loosen it up. Uh, maybe the equipment guy can slip some laxative into their halftime break. Something to get them loose. Tequila works better. That would work. But if they could loosen up in that second half, rather than be content and sit on it and then play back and forth on the scores, they get the attitude, which I have dreamt about, of a head coach that wants to score 54 points a game and, you know, tradition be damned, he wants to score every opportunity he gets and he will have his offensive coordinator, in this case, call a game and take chances so they can score aggressively like that every game. I'd rather take somebody like that going for it and us losing than somebody that constantly, and this is we've gone over this for years now, tries to sit on it and then play defense and have defense win it at that point in time. Now, defense can win. Hey, they can hold everybody down to no scores. I'm happy with that. Let's celebrate them. But let's get that offense mm-hmm. to where they they look like a college offense and they're scoring 50 points a game. Yeah, give me some air raid, baby. Let's go. Let's let's push the ball down the field. But we can only hope for now because Mike Zimmer is unfortunately going to find a way to suppress that because it's it's just our luck. It's All right. ungentlemanly or something in his books. It's <laughs> you don't yes. embarrass the other team. Well, which it's professional sports. Embarrass the hell out of them. I, I mean, uh, let, let's let's be honest here, Dave. Mike Zimmer with his defense tries to embarrass the other team all the time. Like with his defense, but he needs to have yeah. transition that men, that thought, that mentality over to his offensive side. Whether mm-hmm. it's right brain, left brain, something. He needs to move it over to the offensive side and say, "Go for it. Take the governor yes. off. Go score points." Ooh, I, I like that. Fast and Furious Ten, baby. L- let's go mm-hmm. to Jurassic Park. All right, so. Well, we've kind of talked about the good. We've kind of started transitioning to the bad. And I think the big topic of conversation that we mentioned here uh, pre-show and then as we're, and we've been alluding to that throughout the entire uh, show here tonight, Mike Zimmer. And I think that we can kind of start off with this, that it, the disconnect between these two, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. Uh, disconnect and discontent is the theme of the show here tonight, and I think we saw that even more here this evening. It's been evident for a long time that Mike Zimmer is a a coach from 1995 with the mentality and how he, he views game flow without playing in 2021. Analytics didn't really exist in 1995. There was no go for it on fourth down. Yeah, you, you had to be desperate to go for it on fourth down. Now, that three of the five worst fourth quarter decisions were Mike Zimmer not going for it on fourth down. It was mentioned by uh, Mackie and Judd on Purple Daily earlier today. I cannot remember the site. If Edge. I uh, pull it up, I will mention Edge. Edge? Okay. So, yeah, we're talking three of the five worst decisions per analytics were Mike Zimmer in the fourth quarter. Like That's pretty bad not trusting your quarterback, which is going to be a big topic of conversation between Deshaun and I tonight. 40 seconds left. You have the ball at the 20, and you don't even try to advance it with your offense dealing on that drive. Like, not even trying to increase the field goal odds percentage from 88 to 98. If you get that 10 yards, you're going to increase it almost 10%. Deshaun, I will let you uh, speak here real quick. Before I go off on my diatribe, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, discontent or like, what are your thoughts here? Because I have a lot of them and I want to make sure that that we start getting a dialogue going. (laughs) 
Uh, so that whole, uh, eh, I don't really agree with that whole analytic thing. Those fourth quarter decisions, they were fine. I mean, Mike Zimmer played, a, he coached a very good fourth quarter defensively. It was, I mean, to hold Kyler Murray, I, I had the stats. I want to say the Cardinals offense in the fourth quarter was 25 plays, 118 yards, and three points. We're talking about maybe the best offense in the NFL and he held them to three, three fourth quarter points. Mike Zimmer called a hell of a game in the fourth quarter. He had Kyler Murray scared to throw the ball. They have an air raid offense. Like the Cardinals are a college offense, and he had them throwing four and five yard passes because of his defense. Now, I, I personally in game I agreed with the punt because the defense was playing well, and I, and you could it had the feel that the Cardinals were not going to attack deep probably would have been a mm-hmm. fantastic play call for them to do so, but they didn't because of the turnovers and the way Zimmer was calling his defense. He got the ball back. They drove downfield. And I feel like if Greg Joseph makes that kick, we're not even talking about this. So it's like now something similar happened that same day. The Titans and the Seahawks had almost the exact same situation. They went to overtime. Titans got the ball back. They got into almost the exact same field goal range. They ran Derrick Derrick Henry three times, kicked a 36-yard field goal, won the game. No questions. I feel like we should have done – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'd, the risk of – and you got to think, we're just coming off a game where we were probably in field goal range and we fumbled the, goal, the ball away. We're just coming off of that. That's a week, that's a week before this. You're 37 yards. That's three yards off a of PAT. Three or four. So I'm just the risk of giving guys like Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, JJ Watt, a chance to make a play just far outweighs the reward of maybe an extra four or five yards. Cause you're not going to throw the ball. You know, as soon as Mike Zimmer got down into, you know, that range, you know, his brain went back to that time when Teddy was starting and Dwight Freeney like strip sacked him and we lost that game. You know that's exactly what he was thinking about. So there's no mm-hmm. way he's putting that. There's no way he's putting that ball in the air. So you're looking at probably three Alexander Madison's runs straight up the gut. I'm just not. I'm not taking that risk. I mean, Greg Joseph should have just made the field goal. That's 37 yards. Now, I'd feel completely differently if it was like 48, 49, maybe 50. That's a difficult field goal. I get that. I mean, kickers have one job, but hey, 50 yards. That's not something everybody can do consistently. 37. That's ridiculous. 37. That's like, that's easy money. That's for, for every field goal kicker should be easy money. Did Mike Zimmer make mistakes? Yes. His defense got killed in the first half. It was awful. They gave that, that touchdown to Randall Moore sucked. It was terrible. The Cardinals had luck. They fumbled and scored after that. They also, he did a terrible job of spying Kyle Murray. Mike Zimmer made his mistakes for sure. And he deserves some blame in that game. But after the fourth quarter that he put on and put his team in a position to win, how much can we really blame him? This is the second week in a row. Second week in a row where it looked like the Vikings should have been done. But the defense shows up late and puts them in a position to win. And we just cannot finish. Thanks, Clifford, for the update. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Lions? Are the Lions winning? I might keep the shirt on. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've, I've got it going on, but I'm streaming Hulu TV, so I'm like 30 seconds behind. So they just hit the field goal for me. But, hey, it's a beautiful thing to see the Lions beating the Packers. Deshaun, did you have anything else left to say? No, no, no. That's a, that's my spiel. All right. Strap in. We're going to have some fun. Mike Zimmer is, in my opinion, the main reason why we lost yesterday. I think his poor clock management at the end of the second half was awful. Running the football there at the end and then leaving so much time left on the clock, I thought was atrocious. I actually agreed with the squib kick because you you got an extra five seconds off the clock. And five seconds can mean a lifetime when you're talking about 16 versus 21. The abysmal tackling is what made that decision look really, really bad. And I don't necessarily think that cause and effect is necessarily fair to equate a poor decision to select the squib kick. So I want to at least make that clear. I'm a fair man, if nothing else. Mike Zimmer's archaic viewpoint on how to play the game of football 
is the main reason why the Vikings are in the position that they're in and why they continue to be in the position that they're in. Because the way that offense played yesterday in the first half with modern type influences, the pre-snap motion, the analytics driven play calls on second and long, like you're talking a very, very good offense. One thing we talked about with Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, depending on the day, is between quarterback eight and quarterback 15 in the National Football League. When he's great, he's easily a top 10 quarterback. And I think we saw that today or yesterday. Kirk Cousins played like a top 10 quarterback. And I, I don't think there's anybody who could argue any differently and be successful. Now, there are also days like that Falcons game where he plays like a quarterback that probably shouldn't be a starting quarterback. And there are too many of those that happened to Kirk Cousins. At the end of the day, the way the offense played in that first half was 100% not a Mike Zimmer creation. And then what happened in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter was a Mike Zimmer creation. The archaic ability to want to play 1995 football. Hey, we're going to run the power eye. We're going we're gonna to run zone. We're, we're just going to try and smash the ball. We're not going to try and create turnovers. No, we're, we just want to play stout defense, get you to third down. Those kind of things don't work anymore the way that they used to. Mike Zimmer refuses to evolve in that sense. Now, one thing that we talked about earlier in the group chat, Nick Olson talked explicitly about how he doesn't think the Vikings are a 4-3 team anymore because they're using so many unique fronts. And I'm excited to dive into the All-22 and kind of investigate that. But at the end of the day, the refusal to go for it on fourth down. Now, all six punts that actually ended up punts, not the one that was roughing. Um, the fourth down decision bot from Ben Baldwin, where it's analytically driven, tells you, hey, should you punt it? Should you not? Said that the Vikings shouldn't punt. I will give them credit for three or four of them because they were pretty much toss-ups. The other two, you need to make those calls and you need to go for it. Mike Zimmer is not going to look at his quarterback and say, hey, you want to go for this? John Harbaugh did last night, and some of it was semantics. It was kind of a rhetorical question, right? He's asking him, no, I've already decided I'm going to go for it, but he's involving the quarterback in the decision. He's making sure, like, hey, I'm showing you I have confidence in you, and that you have confidence in me, and then we're going to go and we're going to win this damn game. He did that in Seattle. But because Dalvin Cook fumbled last week, he didn't do it today or yesterday. And there's too much reaction with Mike Zimmer and not enough proaction. Uh, uh, he's not proactive enough. Not proaction. What the hell am I trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or um, yeah. one. Listen, yeah. man, you're ranting. We'll let it slide. You say whatever you yeah. want, man. <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, Mike Zimmer needs to go. Rick Spielman brought in Kirk Cousins to win you these types of games. All right? Kirk Cousins did everything within what was asked of him to win the game today or yesterday. Damn, I, I can't keep saying today. Anyways, <laughs> you he was brought in to win these games straight up. What happened at the end of that game yesterday showed that uh, Mike Zimmer still does not trust Kirk Cousins three years into the experiment. And that disconnect and discontent between the front office and the coaching staff continues to fester it continues to show. And the fact that Kirk Cousins is still on this team obviously pisses Mike Zimmer off because it it keeps happening. Zimmer should have trusted Kirk Cousins to throw one more pass to get five to ten more yards, run the ball a couple times. Like this the end of that game reminded me of Dennis Green's cowardice in the ninety eight NFC championship game. You have an offense that's dealing, like I mean, ninety eight was probably the best offense that's ever played football. But you can't be a coward. You have to be somewhat aggressive, and you have to trust your people. Zimmer doesn't trust anybody but himself. He may, he may trust Harrison Smith. He may trust Daniil Hunter. But outside of that, who does he trust? He, he trusts that he can call it. Yeah, he trusts that he can call a defense, and that's it. And then he wants to just have the offense do enough so his defense can win the game. This play style, this coaching style, is going to continue to lose us football games. It is going to continue to alienate the fans. It is going to continue to lead us in a direction that we've already been on for three years where this team is not a contender for a Super Bowl. And the offense is proving that if you give it the tools to succeed, like Clint Kubiak did in the first half, this is an offense that can take you to a Super Bowl. But it's going to be held back by the coaching staff, 
by the fact that there's discontent in that between Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman and how they're trying to build this team and how they're trying to coach this team. And at the end of the day, Zimmer is it showed you that he's a coward. And I'm going to kind of leave it at that. Zimmer showed in the fourth quarter on Sunday he was a coward and he wasn't willing to take the necessary steps to ensure that your field goal kicker, which has been your worst position probably for 25 years, and especially in the Mike Zimmer era, you don't want to get him 10 more yards? That Deshaun, you're right, in a vacuum. Holding kind of makes a little bit of sense, right? It's an 88% chance of a make. It should be a gimme for a professional kicker. At the end of the day, it's not. It is not. It, we're the Minnesota Vikings. We don't make kicks. The difference in EPA in us kicking at the end of games and other teams kicking is 0.64 points. Far and away the most in the National Football League. There, That's not an accident. You have to get your kickers set up for success. Zimmer's like, oh, he hit 250-plus yarders. He'll be fine. He also missed an extra point. That obviously didn't bother him. But if you're not setting your players up for success, you are the problem. Zimmer didn't. Zimmer had blind faith in the position that has haunted him for years. And it cost us the football game. Mike Zimmer needs to go. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There's one way that stops that all that though. Someone take someone take his soapbox, man. <laughs> look, look, I'll say this. If he makes the kick, the decision to not go forward and try and get more yards, it's still a bad call. Bad process with good results is still bad. Because at the end of the day, you're gonna utilize bad process too often and you're gonna get too many bad results. Utilize good process, continue to utilize good process, and you're going to see good results. Now, I just got fresh sod on Wednesday, all right? If I skip two days of watering, could I be fine? Sure. Is it incredibly bad to not water sod for two full days? Absolutely. It's probably all going to die. Like, just because I did that and all of a sudden my sod is still okay, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. And you can kind of equate that with a part, all parts of life here. And it, with coaching, utilize bad process. You're going to get bad results more often than not. And How does he I would it? still... How does he fix it? Listen to people yeah. who are analytical. Have your kicker thinkers. make a kick. That too. Have you, but have your kicker make a field goal. <laughs> Don't fumble. He, he has to become less stubborn as far as being an analytical person. He has to listen to the nerds. He has to listen to them and say, hey, this is why you do this. This is why it makes sense. And in a football sense, this is why these teams are doing better than you. And this is why you're here and not there. He has to become more open-minded. And we keep hearing that he's becoming more open-minded. It's evident he's not. He needs to become more open-minded and become at least willing to listen to the analytics. Like, just imagine if Kevin Stefanski was here, what kind of conversation we'd be having after last night's game. Be a completely different conversation because process would be different. It would be good process. And if we lost the game because – he tried to get it up to the 20-yard line, and then he missed the 27-yard field goal. Bury the kicker. Absolutely. Right, listen, listen. if he tries to get it up and they turn the ball over or they commit a penalty, Mike Zimmer's, like, gone the day after. Like, there is, like, you. There's so there's such a small margin to win in that. If we, if we get a false start penalty, we get a hold penalty, we turn the ball over – we are livid. I'm telling you, Mike Zimmer is like on his head is on a stake the next morning. If he lets Kirk Cousins drop back and he fumbles or he throws a pick, like that's like the Minnesota is on fire the next day. So I just I can't get behind like the the margin is just so small between a 37 and a 27. It's just it's just not worth it. And then Mike Zimmer, yes, he's put us in we should have we should have we the way we played against the Bengals, we should have been blown out. The way the mm-hmm. offense played in the third quarter against the Arizona Cardinals, we should have been blown out. We are in these games because of Mike Zimmer. No matter how no matter what way you try to spin it, against the Bengals, we had like three sacks in clutch moments. Against the Cardinals, we had a pick and three sacks in clutch moments. We are not in these games without Mike Zimmer. 
And if the and if one part of the team can just not make the simplest mistakes, we're two and zero. Oh. This football team is not nearly as bad as some people might think. The way we competed yesterday against the Arizona Cardinals, and we're only going to get better. The defense is not going to consistently give up thirty points a game. It's just not going to happen. Especially when we feel when we figure out that corner situation, as the pass rushers get more acclimated, as guys start to sell in. Maybe as I mean, Vigil's been great, but as soon as we get Bar back into rotation or starting, this defense is going to start to settle down. And once we play less less offense, I mean, often lesser offenses, we're going to start to see them shut guys down. We start to play teams like the Panthers or like maybe even Dallas. You might even be able to shut down Dallas. We'll see. But we are in these games because of Nike Silver. We're not in these games because of Gary Kubiak. We're not in these games because of Kirk Cousins or anybody else. We were in position to win these games because Mike Zimmer put them there. And and I mean, he deserves blame for sure. I'm not, I will never absolve Zimmer for blame of anything. Anytime your defense gives up 30 points, even though it was expected, it's the Arizona Cardinals. You're going to give up points. I mean, Calamari and Cliff are like a match made in heaven. Like that's a fantastic pairing right there. You are going to give up points no matter who you are. So 30, 30 was they had 34 that sucks. You shouldn't do, they should never get that high. It's whatever. He has some blame there, but you just can't ignore the fact that they are there in the first place because of him. We're not there without him. Now, maybe it's different if you don't have such a defense oriented coach and go full offense. Maybe we are able to keep up. Who knows? Possibly, but that's not what we got right now. We got Mike Zimmer. He did a great job in both second halves and he put us there and then we're just unlucky. Like, we're such an unlucky football team. And that's something that doesn't go away with Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer's fired. We still got kicking issues. Mike Zimmer's fired. People are still making kicks against us. My, while Mike Zimmer is an issue, I, I 100% understand. Certain things that he does are 100% an issue. But there are still a lot of other things to fix with this football team. I believe this football team can compete with anybody in the NFL. We've seen several teams struggle. We, we play... Coming up, we played the Panthers, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Browns, the like the the, Lions. the Chargers, the Lions. We've seen all these team struggles. There is no team in in our next team's opponents that are going to come in and completely outmatch us. So this this team has a chance to go. As you see, my tweet pop up on the screen. That's good stuff, dude. And this this team needs to go five and one. And because of Mike Zimmer and the way that he's called games, we have a chance of that. I mean, I I don't know where this came from. It was on Twitter. I wish I could credit whoever posted it. But the Vikings had two two instances where they... (laughs) (laughs) It would be a lot longer if that's the case. What is 98? Um, I haven't shaved in a while and I may grow up longer. Anyways, thanks. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> the Vikings had two two times in the last two games where their win percentage was at like 95% or something insane, and they end up losing the game. That's just not sustainable. Just like for the other team, you can't sustain having a win percentage of like 2% and end up winning. At some point, things are going to fall in line, and you'll start to see them winning games like they used to. I think we got to settle down and relax until either things come back or they fall apart and we go full on fires in. But as of right, we can't just, the team is playing well enough to be 2-0. They just aren't, unfortunately, because of some bad breaks. So we still have to give it a little time before we're ready to rip Zimmer a new one. <laughs> I, I want to counter this because at, to an extent, I agree with a lot that you said Zimmer has to his credit, done a good job keeping us in games. But does it matter that he's able to keep us in games if he blows it with his decision-making and his negative consequences of how he wants to coach and how he utilizes time management? Does it matter? It, I, I Personally, I don't think it matters a whole lot if he keeps us in games, if, he's, if he ends up being the one with his decision-making to end up costing us those same games. It's kind of a catch-22 because you want him to be able to keep you in games, but if he's costing them, what does it matter? Like, I don't think it does. Like, at the end of the game, you have to win games. At some point, 
the players that you hire just have to do their job. I mean, there's only so and much that Mike Zimmer right? can do. Look, look at the it's corners. A, those are all Mike Zimmer the, corners. Mike yeah, Zimmer picked those guys, and, and they all suck. <laughs> Pepe had a solid game, uh, albeit he picked the wrong guy on that long play. I mean, regardless, it would have been like a 50-plus yard game. Maybe if he didn't take uh, – I think he came up to cover Hopkins instead of Moore. If he takes Moore, maybe it's not a touchdown, mm-hmm. but D-Hop is going for like 50 or 60 yards no matter who he takes. Pepe has been solid. Dantzler came in, and he was instantly better – then Brashard Breland. Maybe this is the week we see those two together and we start to see. Deshaun, Deshaun you, me, or Dave could have been better than Brashard Breland yesterday against the corpse of yeah. AJ Green. <laughs> yeah, he was bad, man. He was. The Dozier of cornerbacks, Brashard Breland. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's even worse that it was against the AJ Green, who's like 35. How old is AJ Green? The man is old. Um, <laughs> he he's, is just... he's 31 or 32. He is, he is not as old as he appears. He's been in the league forever. He and Julio Jones were in that same draft class, but A.J. Green had those lower body injuries the last two years that really, really did a number on him. And he was doing a number on Brashard Breland, man. It was terrible. But we saw Dantzler come in and instantly blanket, blanketed him. It was, it was great. So now the best part about it is now we have that. We have that depth. We can switch those two out. Mac Alexander was solid until, unfortunately, that big – that. Giant play down the field, which was luck. Like that's he just not on him. Th- that's not on Matt. You, it's like that's Kyler Murray doing something stupid, and, and then just and it paying like, off, right? Yeah, it was great play call by Zim. I mean, and just, Kyler Murray just did something ridiculous. Stood, I mean, it was great. Mm-hmm. He stood in there, took the hit, made an accurate throw, which was insane, like thirty-five yards down the field, but. I just, I think we have to give it a little bit. Now, I am 100% on board with Zim going if this team ends up being like two and five or two and six. I think he needs to go. I think at some point you do, even though I think it's not going to give you the positive results you want, you do need change just for change's sake. So I'm on board with Mike Zimmer going if we can't rattle off four or five wins in this next six games. So we'll have to see what that brings. Mm-hmm. Zimmer hasn't – I don't think Zimmer has been as bad as some may think. You need your – at some point, you need your players to perform. You need your players to not commit penalties, mm-hmm. to make field goals, and to not fumble. This is like – this is routine stuff. This is stuff you work on in rookie minicamp. Penalties, fumbles, and field goal kicks. And We're that's what's being us. Since Pee Wee and Pop Warner football, it is yeah. right. fundamental and football. So – that stuff like that should come together as the season goes on. We'll see what happens. Unfortunately, these were like the two teams that we needed to beat. I mean, AZ has a great mm-hmm. defense, a great offense, but their defense leaves much to be desired yeah. as seen yesterday. When we scored 33 points, we're not going to see that with a lot of teams. The Cardinals, Russell Wilson is better than Colin Murray. Russell Wilson is going to do the same things as Colin Murray, but not give you as many chances to make turnovers. Then we have the Browns, who's a great all-around team. Then we have the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. I mean, he didn't do that great yesterday but he's still a great quarterback so the schedule gets tougher and we have to continue to play better and i think this next six games is where you really will judge mike zimmer Mm -hmm. yes you've gotten close in the last two games might not be your fault that you lost but now you need to get your team in a position where it doesn't come down to the final play i think that's what we need to start Mm -hmm. to work on now those those final moments have killed you be better earlier I, I want to address this really quick because it was something that I was talking about even before um, my good friend Chris Thompson put it in the comments section. Dave, would you throw it back up here real quick, mm-hmm. the last comment? All right. Do you think Zim needs to go back to being a D coordinator as opposed to a head coach? And I think this is where you and I differ, Deshaun, in this conversation. I think we can both agree he's a, he's a great schemer. He's great at coaching up defense. And I think that, that can't be um, stated enough. Zimmer's a great defensive coach. He knows how to take care of that side of the football. He knows how to present unique challenges. He knows how to do blitz packages. He does all those things. At the end of the day, I don't want to fire Zimmer the defensive coordinator. I want to fire Zimmer the head coach because the head coach is the one that's costing these football games. And I think that differentiating is how we can come to a sense of agreement here 
because it's not the defensive coordinator that's costing us. It is the head coach. Yeah, and but I we, wanted to. But I wanted to happens, make that point. But if it happens, if the Wolves get fed up enough, and I don't think it's Spielman's decision. I think it's the Wolves. If the Wolves get fed up enough, and they release Mike Zimmer. He won't come back as a defensive coordinator, even though he no. would be outstanding. I guarantee there's probably 31 other owners or owner groups that are going to be calling Mike Zimmer as mm-hmm. soon as he's released to check his availability um, because he is so good on the defensive side and he does adjust on the defensive side. He does it long-term and he does it short-term as we said at the beginning of the show, you guys did. You're looking forward to watching the All-22 to see some of those crazy fronts he's putting up there, mm-hmm. right? And I talked about it early in the season. He's going more to a 5-2 to battle some of the things that are coming here. That hasn't been done in 30 or 40 years, right? He's innovating and getting things done on the defensive side. I agree. His problem is as a head coach. He has some flaws, major ones when it comes to his head coaching skill. Why he hasn't sat down with some successful head coaches other than uh, uh, Bill Parcells to say, hey, this is how I could do it, or this is how, look at some of the other younger ones, the upstarts, and maybe learn from them like they watched and studied college defenses this last offseason. Look at what their styles are doing. Look at some of those innovations. How to better clock manage. Maybe he doesn't like his analytic guys. Maybe they're jerks. I have no idea. <laughs> then get ones that can talk to him. Or get ones that are the human to geek interface types. That was my mm-hmm. favorite job title after the air, after I retired. Was I went to a job and my business card said human to geek interface. Because I talked with the customer and could explain that to the coders. And then back and forth for the coders, back to the customers, so they understand. Well, maybe when it comes to analytics, Mike Zimmer needs somebody like that to say, hey, yeah, it's just a bunch of numbers. Get it away. I know what I'm doing. I've watched football for 50-some-odd years, 60 years, right? And go, yeah, but coach, let me explain to you how if we're doing motion, that's moving somebody on the defense, which you know it does, right? And that causes this spot to suddenly open up. Kirk can turn around and dump off to the wide receiver who's sitting there because he just read that guy move, and we make a successful play. He could say, ooh, that makes sense, because you put it in his language and how he sees it, rather than show him a stat sheet, a spreadsheet full of numbers. Because he's 60-some-odd years old, he goes, ah, right? Something like that would help him. But does that happen between now and the end of the season? No. Unfortunately not. There's not enough time. I don't even know if he would do it. But that would help. But if he gets released, he'll be gone completely. Now, if they get to the release point, I hope they take Spielman with him. Because we've had enough of both. The whole thing has gotten awfully stale. There's a malaise that's follow, falling over the fan base, like a fog out in the West Coast Bay Area, and it's getting thick, mm-hmm. and we're tired of it. And that's the one thing that will drive the Wilfs, right, if the losing continues, to remove these guys. Otherwise, they're going to be here. And the best way to stop it, like Deshaun says, win football games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tough part because I think if Zimmer became a head coach in 1995, he'd probably have two Super Bowls right now. Like that That's the kind of defensive mind he is. He is calling games like the heyday of Bill Parcells and the unwillingness to adapt and evolve. And whether it's somebody like uh, he's not meshing with the analytics people, which I think is fair because you see on Twitter all the time, like uh, our good friend and friend of the network, uh, Eric Eager, PFF Eric on Twitter, uh, analytics people and film people fight. They fight because there's not a true understanding of either side. At least it feels that way in how they how they interact. You know what I'm saying? 
So if that happens regularly on Twitter, where that's kind of like a general landscape of what the consensus is as far as the country, then when you talk about Zimmer, 60-plus years old, he's been in the National Football League since 1995 as a secondary coach of the Dallas Cowboys, versus a 26-year-old who got his first analytics job with the National Football League, like you could totally see those two guys just button heads, and all of a sudden it's just nothing. So it's really difficult because we know Zimmer's great, but it at a certain point, what does it matter? What does it matter to the greatness because of the, the deficiencies? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's what gets stale. And he's at that point. It's stale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And gentlemen, we have had a fantastic show here tonight. Some really good conversations, some good points from all points of view. Let's kind of look forward real quick before we sign off here for the evening. One big thing that you are looking for when we host the Seattle Seahawks for the first time in what feels like 30 years, because we always end up playing in Seattle. All right, Dave, we'll start with you and we'll go, we'll go down the line right to left. What are you looking forward to seeing most against the Seattle Seahawks here on Sunday? First, I'm going to answer Derek's question. We switched from a 3-4 to a 4-3. No, it's actually the opposite way. We've swapped from a 4-3 to a modified 3-4. I call it the 5-2. You may see three defensive tackles and two defensive ends on there. That's a traditional 5-2. Mm-hmm. He's doing it a little bit differently, and it seems to work. It goes against the heavies. Now to answer your question of what do I want to see against the Seahawks, I want to see a win. I want to see him beat the Seahawks for the first time in seven You know tries. what? You know what? We that always ruins the spirit of the close. question, Dave. It's the simple answer. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I want to see him you know, running on all cylinders, both sides of the ball. Stop the mistakes. Sean, what do you want to see? Be innovative. Ah, uh, man. I think I think I want to see I want to see Cousins outplay Russell Wilson. That'd be nice. Let's keep the the cousin narrative going. He's like the third highest greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. Let's keep it going. <laughs> his, his yards per attempt suck though. He's like 20. He's like 7.1 yards per attempt. I want to see Cousins outplay Russell at home and just keep it. This man is like on an unstoppable streak. PFF loves Kirk Cousins this season. Let's keep it going. I love it. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, Jared Goff just looked like a geriatric old man running a read option play for like 16 yards, and it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, but I, I think the one thing I want to lo- look at here. Um, is not necessarily how we're going to stop DK Metcalf because I think I know how we're going to stop DK Metcalf. How are how is Mike Zimmer going to contain Tyler Lockett? Because the way he wins is so much different than the way uh, DK Metcalf does. He's able to win at all levels of the field in all kinds of different ways with speed, with quickness, with tech, with as a technician. Tyler Lockett has been the driving force of that offense here for the first a couple weeks of the season. And how is Mike Zimmer going to contain that? I think that's going to be really interesting. You're going to see a lot of Mac Alexander on Tyler Lockett. Is he going to be able to keep up with him? Is he going to get juked out of his shoes? How is that going to be a priority for Mike Zimmer? Because DK Metcalf is easy. You get uh, Patrick Peterson on him, you throw a safety over the top, you'll be able to contain him relatively easily as far as containing big plays. He's still going to get catches. He's still going to maybe get some drags over the field and make some stuff happen but he's not going to annihilate you with the deep ball. Tyler Lockett, I think, is going to be the bigger challenge, and I'm really excited to see what Mike Zimmer does there. Gentlemen. It all starts Before we sign up. With the rush. Well, yep, it does, and I'm really excited to see what kind of fronts he used and how he, like we saw with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is able to escape. The escapability of Russell Wilson is not quite what it was like three, four years ago because he is now 33 years old. He's starting to kind of come down a little bit on that athletic decline but he's still fantastic at evading pressure. How is Mike Zimmer going to contain Russell Wilson? That's going to be really fun to watch. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone in the chat. I know Dave was trying to fix some technical issues with that earlier. I'm glad to see that some people were coming through the chat. Chris, GMAX72, we appreciate you coming in at all. Make sure you check out the replay on YouTube, and it'll be on the Daily Nurseman podcast feed tomorrow. Um, Derek, you as well. 
We appreciate everybody who was there and just unable to make comments because of the technical issues. Gentlemen, before I sign us off, anything else that we have to say to the good people here this evening? Go Lions tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Go Lions because a Packers 0-2 start is so much better than a Vikings 0-2 start is bad because it's the Packers and I like to see them burn to the ground just like everyone else. Until then, from Deshaun and our great producer Dave, I am Tyler. Make sure you turn in next Monday where we turn your Mondays purple. Skull, everyone! Skull. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pipe.